Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have John Stern. He's the co-founder of Ringpin and has started three to four ventures. He's an entrepreneur, sales leader, selling to companies like Microsoft, WeWork, and others in the tech space for, for multiple companies, one of which has been bought out, of Google, bought out by Google. He was nominated four times for a Top Tech Executive Award and helps in San Diego Youth Mentor Program. So, um, John, thanks for so, so much for being on the show today. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, you've done a lot of things. Uh, it sounds like you've went through a transition of, you know, going into the kind of the sales positions in these companies, helped them grow and scale, uh, and then now started another company uh, where you've been working on for several years, Ringpin. And we can go that into that a little bit later on the show and what uh, you guys do and, and, and how you help others. Uh, but can, can you actually go into your bit of your founder story? You, uh, you're in San Diego. Are you originally from San Diego? No, I'm actually originally from um, Michigan, and I lived there for about 20 years. Uh, grew up working for my dad's IT consulting company, and then uh, finished college out there and packed up the bags and moved to San Diego without having ever been here, just because I always wanted to live somewhere with nice weather. Uh, so that was 20 years ago, and never looked back. <laughs> nice. I mean, uh, San Diego uh, compared to Michigan is pretty huge. <laughs> Uh, difference there was it just like you just wanted good weather or was there any kind of motivational factor as far as like college or anything like that it, I wish I could say it was something deeper than the weather but as a young kid I always lobbied for my family to move uh, out west and somewhere warm and could never get them to do it so as soon as I had the opportunity I took it upon myself and, and got out of here and uh, turned out a bunch of my friends ended up moving out here after me so I have a very solid uh, crew of people here now Nice. But I uh, came for the weather and ended up falling in love with San Diego and, and haven't left. Yeah, I'm in San Diego too, and San Diego is definitely beautiful. We're a bit spoiled here as far as weather goes, so it's hard to it's hard to leave. Um, so you came here, and then what did you do when you first came here? You, you, did you kind of go into business at all as far as like trying to start your own business, or did you just kind of start for another working for another company? Yeah, absolutely. I basically started my own IT consulting company pretty much right when I got out here within nice. a year. And um, did that for about 13, 14 years, helped a lot of local businesses with their technology, with their hiring, with their culture, um, worked with property management companies, media companies, uh, legal companies, a wide range of, and that helped, you know, expose me to a lot of different industries and a lot of different areas of business. Definitely. So you, so you started right off the bat, how old were you when you started this IT company? I was probably 21. <laughs> But I had been working for my dad as a kid. He had an IT consulting company in Michigan. So I had been doing it since I was probably 15 or 16. So I had a, a lot of experience than people my age. Actually, probably when I was maybe six or seven years old, he was a professor and I would grade his tests 
this was even before Scantrons and uh, would make a little jingle like A, B, C, D in order to grade all the tests. And he would pay me like 50 cents if I would do all the tests for all of his classes. And nice. uh, so I grew up working for him pretty young and kind of just took those skills that I learned from that and started my own thing and, uh, and, and did that for a long time and really enjoyed it because I felt like I was a part of a lot of different businesses instead of just having one company. I was a part of every company that I worked with right. and it was really cool learning about all these different areas instead of doing the same thing over and over again. But in the end, uh, even though it was a business, I felt like I was just kind of the IT guy. And many times I would arrive at my client's offices and they said, oh, the computer guy is here. And I'd basically cringe and hide under the desk. And uh, felt like I always wanted to do something a little bit more or different with my career. So that's yeah, why I feel I, that 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's very similar with me with my car wash business when I first started. Whenever people saw me, they're like, "Oh, the car wash guy! I need to clean up. My, I need to clean my car." Because <laughs> yeah, you know we're very successful in San Diego, so everywhere I go, it's like people look at me and they think about their car being dirty. And I'm like, "Do I want to keep that image for the rest of my life?" Like, <laughs> um, so I understand that. So, how did you transition out of the IT company? Did you eventually exit and sell, or did you kind of just like close the doors? What happened? Yeah. Um it's totally relatable with the car washing. That's so funny because you've built a good business out of the car washing, but they don't see it. Oh, this is the business owner. This is the car wash guy. Right. So, yeah, I totally get it. And that's what I felt like. If I didn't get out of that, I was going to be stuck being the computer guy my whole life. So since I had always been in technology, I decided that I wanted to work, uh, go to the Bay Area and really get serious about joining the startup scene and seeing what I could do. So as soon as I made that decision, I looked and found a Bay Area company that was actually hiring for a role in San Diego. Uh, and I called them up and asked them, you know, why they were hiring in San Diego. They didn't even have an office here. And they said they wanted to open one. Uh, I met them within a week and got hired on the spot. And, and that went very, very well, very quickly. And uh, I didn't actually last there very long for a few different reasons, but Shortly after I was done there, they got bought by Google, and it was really fun to see the success and, and see everything take off so quickly for them. So I had been being recruited by their big competitor the entire time I was there. So as soon as my time there ended, um, I went to Brazil for a month to basically solidify everything with my wife, who was back there. And then I came back, started working for the competitor, and did that for about three and a half years. So, kind of just, so the tech company, that kind of just like kind of fizzled out and you just eventually closed it. So then you started that startup and did, so did you, did you eventually like sell it or was it just like close the doors on as far as the IT company goes? Yeah. Good question. No, I handed off my customers to some trusted colleagues here in San Diego. Okay. Uh, they took over the existing business. So I couldn't leave them just uh, hanging and I kept some of the smaller ones going for a little while, just kind of on the side, but uh, I needed to make sure that they were taken care of and, and I couldn't really bring myself to continue doing that type of work or else I felt like I was going to be stuck there forever. Yeah, no, I feel that. Cause I mean, same thing with the, with the car wash industry. I couldn't like keep washing the same client's car for, you know, four years, but I didn't want to exactly just leave them hanging either. So then I developed a kind of a franchise model where other partners could buy into the business. And then I handed off all of my clients to these now current, like really great partners that are doing, all the work for them and they're getting the majority of the money. Right. So um, I think that's like an important piece that I found a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs is that they don't want to just like, they have to kind of close the doors. They need closure with each company. And uh, most, most of them just don't like to just shut the doors and then give up on one dream. They want to keep it going or they eventually sell it. 
something like that. So you kind of just were like, okay, this transition's done, going to the new transition of startup world. And then a competitor came in and was like, hey, you know, you did really, really well with this company. You know, why don't you um, help me grow this one? And you did that for three or four years. And what was the kind of end result with that? Yeah, that one um, was really fun and challenging because I was in charge of both sales and operations and no one else in the company had a role that had both sides. So we'd sell a deal and then go install a deal and, and take care of the whole thing from beginning to end. Um, that really, that went well for a while. And then, you know, towards the end of that is when, you know, my business partner and I had the idea for Ringpin and we felt like we needed to go uh, off on our own and start that. So uh, I decided to leave that company and, and start ranking with him. And as soon as another competitor heard that I left that company, he reached out to me and said that I needed to come uh, join his team. And I said, well, now I have this startup that I want to do, you know, and that's why I left that company. He said, it doesn't matter. Do that on the side. Come work for us. <laughs> and, uh, and, and everything will be fine as long, you know, there won't be any conflicts and, and everyone can benefit. So joined them and, and had a great time. And that was a, a small local company that um, just had amazing results. They were already on a good path. And then kind of when I got there, we made some cultural changes right out of the gate and really just saw the company take off. And it was super exciting to see all of that. Um, and awesome. Yeah, yeah, that lasted again about uh, two years and still am friends with them and talk to them uh, very often. But at that point, uh, this you know, kind of gets a little complicated that my co-founder of Ringpin had started another company at the same time as Ringpin. And that company got uh, venture funded, uh, you know, after a couple of years. And I was worried that uh, we weren't going to be able to work together anymore. So uh, I joined him at that other startup because that was basically the only chance to be able to work with him. And, and that was my main my main thing because he's one of my best friends and one of the most talented people I know. So basically I would work with him anywhere and uh, mm -hmm. went to that startup. And, and again, we had a lot of success over there. Um, and that led us up to, you know, a few months ago when COVID was coming around where we were sitting on ring pin, which we had developed and almost finished. And uh, one of the big complaints was that people didn't want this remote uh, communication system. They still wanted to deal with their, you know, office desk phones and, and have their, their office set up the way that they were used to. So when COVID happened and, and offices basically were obsolete, we decided we needed to bring it to market and, and let people use our system that they can communicate from anywhere on any device. So uh, we added a couple extra features, you know, that helped, you know, keep people safe during COVID and now are bringing it to market and super excited to finally uh, have this product that we've been thinking about and working on for three or four years, finally being able to put it in people's hands and see how they like it, see how they use it and all that stuff. So it's super exciting right now. Yeah, no, it sounds like you've been working on, you know, kind of really balancing a lot of different things, uh, you know, from, from initially like learning how to grow a company and then, um, in the, in the tech space, right. Which is a very like powerful space. Um, definitely like with the Silicon Valley and everything, like it's a huge tech industry. Everything is all about tech. Right. Um, and then kind of bouncing around, like going with the different co-founders, working them grow their company while also, working on these like projects. So really ring pin was like a project that you were working on for several years while kind of paying the bills, working with your other entrepreneur buddies, like in their, in their companies together to kind of grow it. Did you take any kind of like equity shares of these other companies or you just kind of took pay for, you know, doing sales for them or what happened? What was that kind of a relationship yeah. like? 
Uh, I had equity with almost all of them. Uh, so it was both an equity agreement and, um, you know, other sorts of compensation. And, you know, to be frank, probably all of them, you know, should have gone a little bit longer or something like that. Uh, you know, I don't think most companies or employees want something to last less than two years. But if you look at, you know, from the beginning to the end for both the people and the companies, everybody's in better spots now than when we started. So it seems like they all worked out pretty well. Uh, there's a couple more in there, you know, that we didn't talk about. We started a baseball card grading company back in the early 2000s that would look on eBay and compare prices for cards. Also a poker venture that was going pretty well until, uh, you know, the United States banned online poker in 2009. So there's been a lot of different ventures mixed in there. And, and yes, I think you're right. I've always had some sort of uh, project going on on the side with my main gig, whether it was, you know, the main gig working for myself or for other people. But uh, as long as you show results for the main gig, I would hope that those companies would be open to you doing other stuff on your own time. And typically I'm too busy with the main gigs to even do anything on my own time. But, uh, you know, I, I was able to do some and, and push these projects forward. So, so these things I'm really curious about kind of the transition there, you know, so, you know, you, you, you start with a company, you get equity shares of that company, you work for her for about two years and then it just, does it kind of just transition to a time where you kind of want to, you need to leave or, or they're going to sell or something like that. And then you then sell your shares back to the company and kind of take your pay and then move on to the next venture. Is that how you usually do it? There's no real usual and uh, it's not exactly <laughs> how I planned it. I mean, it has happened before where, you know, I've sold back shares when I've left the company. I still have options for some other companies. Um, so it really depends on the situation and what works best for everybody. Uh, to transition from one operational standard to another. So, you know, if you're, if you're highly involved in the company, as far as day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, operations, you know, you have a certain equity share, but then if you back away from that, um, those operations or those daily tasks, do, do those equity shares change or does the relationship change between you and the other founder of the company? Yeah. Uh, that all is situational, uh, and, and can vary from place to place. Um, typically there's an agreement in the beginning when you get your equity shares of what you have to do to get them and to keep them vesting and things like that. And I'd always recommend, you know, doing things at the beginning instead of after the fact and putting in triggers for if your role changes or things like that. Um, you know, and that stuff isn't, isn't talked about very often when people join companies and they don't really know the true value of their equity. So I think it's something that when you're joining a company, you really should um, find out as much as you can about the owners and, and the equity and what it's really worth so that you know what you're really getting into. Any like um, recommendations on resources or different things that our audience can study just to kind of like get them up to speed on these kind of things? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone should have a mentor. I always try and find people that have been through the situations already that I'm going through. Um, finding a good mentor can be difficult. Uh, people can always reach out to me, John at ringpin, J-O-N at ringpin.com, and I'm happy to help. Um, I know Scott Lease is a LinkedIn sales leader. He's put out a lot of good resources about um, the value of equity and, and the different ways it can be structured. But really talking to someone that's been through it before uh, is, is going to be the best way because there's a lot of different things to look out for, and it can be overwhelming for someone that's never dealt with it before. And a lot of companies purposefully don't, um, educate their employees about the options and uh, they're not necessarily looking out for the employee's best interests. 
So yeah. the employees should always take it upon themselves to make sure that they're educated and, and find whatever resources they need to, to understand everything that they're signing. Yeah, that's really cool. So it sounds like you, you know, through that whole process, you know, the different equity options and different things that you've done with other companies then helped you create multiple streams of revenue um, kind of through the transition in your career, correct? Yeah, it's, it's helped me take some shots on my own things, you know, having equity in, in companies and, um, you know, it, there's, the structure, there's a standard structure that's been going on for a long time and I don't necessarily believe in that structure. You know, a lot of offers have a four-year um, vesting schedule with a one-year cliff, which tends to not line up with a lot of sales leaders, um, you know, tenures, which the average is like 18 months for a VP of sales you keep hearing. So I think that there should be equity tied to uh, incentives and performance instead of time necessarily. Uh, and I think if you align the company's uh, goals with your leaders, sales leaders' goals, then both sides are going to end up doing much better. And maybe you know some of these situations wouldn't have ended so quickly, and you know it would have been more clear what needs to be done to actually have value in your equity. Yeah, not not having a proper structure there for you know anyone that's working with you in your company, uh, I think is yeah, it's super vital, but most people don't understand kind of how that can be leveraged in a beneficial way, especially if people want to sell, you know, in the end. So that's, yeah, it's really, really important. I would definitely recommend people to kind of reach out to you and, or look at those other resources and kind of, uh, and, and, you know, maybe even integrate this structure into their company, uh, or, you know, or change it. So going into RingPin, I, what is RingPin specifically? So that way people can, I can understand uh, what you guys do. Yeah. RingPin helps companies um, stay in touch with their customers. It allows customers to engage with their products and with the people from the brands. Um, we can catch people when they're offline using QR codes or online through social links or widgets on the website. And then those customers can either get in touch through voice, video, text, or live chat or play games or interact with the products, you receive loyalty points or discounts, basically just make it easier for companies to connect with their customers and allow customers to get that personalized experience even if they're not face-to-face -face anymore. Okay, so so it's kind of like a, an integrated platform where it's all 100% communication based. You know, you, when I was looking at it, you can do pretty much every kind of communication you want, text, call, video, or kind of like an online kind of a communication as well. Is it, is it supposed to be like very similar to like Slack or companies are supposed to use? You actually described it a lot better than I did. Uh, it could be considered similar to Slack. It's an omni-channel contact center, so it does have every channel of communications, but it's more for um, customers to company than internal companies that I see Slack being used as mostly. Mm -hmm. um, so really a way to give that personal connection and personalized experiences to your customers and really give them that wow factor that, the kind of I feel companies have gotten away from over the past five or 10 years where it's hard to find, you know, their phone number on a website or how hard to get in touch with a real person. We deliver instant connections that always start with, um, you know, the communications aspect, but from there you can take it into, you know, a game or a loyalty um, program or something like that. So we make it easy to communicate. And then through those communicates communications, we can offer a lot of different experiences. So you can kind of customize and tailor this experience to each company. Absolutely. And over time, those experiences can change because we can put one code on a package or product 
and change what happens when you scan that code every time. So one week you could have it enter a contest for the customer. The next week it could be a coupon and the next week it could just be uh, a way for them to get jump into a video call immediately with you to get tips on how your hair looks or how your makeup's applied. Okay, cool. So it's like these, these kind of these QR codes can be adjusted and changed or can just reroute to any link or any direction that the company wants. Uh, it's just kind of like getting these QR codes in front of customers via like either e email or online or however. Uh, what, are, what are some of the, one of my have, one of the questions that I always have with the uh, kind of the, the efficiency of QR codes is when a QR code is on your phone, right? You pull up e either by a website or email and it's on your phone. You know, you can't really scan it until, you know, you use your camera on it. So is there, is there some kind of workaround that you've done on that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, great point. And overall, QR codes in America were, have never been very popular. Um, only recent with, uh, you know, COVID. Oh, I know. <laughs> More used to scanning. I actually like it. I don't. I don't mind it. I've always been. I, yeah, well, people don't know. People don't know that you can actually just hover your camera over the QR code instead of taking a picture to be able to pull up the website. I always educate people on that. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you still look now in a lot of the app stores, QR code readers are some of the biggest, uh, most downloaded apps. So a lot of people still aren't educated that they're native to the phones. So what we've done is, if you're on your mobile device when you get one of our things, is we also have the ability to use links instead of just QR codes. So we can use a QR code if it's a physical product or if it's in a book or in an email or something like that. But if you're on your mobile device already, you could click on a link like go.ringpin.com slash John. Or if they're on a website, we have a widget that can deliver the same thing. So whether they're so, offline and use a QR code or online using links that you can put on social or in the emails or the widget on the website, we can deliver the same experience wherever those customers are. I love it. Um, Cool. So, you know, the last thing we want to talk about in the show is kind of the pandemic and how uh, the ring pin, how your company or right, anything that's happened as far as like your, uh, your investment portfolio has changed. Uh, what are the changes that have had, like, happened this year uh, in, in the direction of ring pin and other things? Yeah. Um, you know, well, obviously, you know, the world changed for everybody in my family in particular, my parents moved out here and they're both high risk. So we've been very careful and heavily isolated. Um, and as part of that, you know, you lose your human connection to a lot of people. So, uh, you know, I've leaned in online to a lot of these different events and happy hours over Zoom and, and other tools like that in order to keep that personal connection. And for Ringpin, you know, because people are out of their offices and remote, it we allow uh, workers to work from anywhere on any device. So we help people get that flexibility where they can work from home while they're taking care of their kids or you know, work from a park or wherever they may be and still do the same things that they could do in the office. So we thought it was really important to get our system out there to give people the flexibility to still do the same amount of work no matter where they were and work just as efficiently. But not only that, one of the major pivots that we did was we've been talking about QR codes for about two years. And my wife's from Brazil and they have a lot of QR codes there and I've traveled in Asia and there's QR codes everywhere there, but they've never caught on in the U.S., and we finally decided when COVID came around for safety measures, QR codes were going to take off and, and finally be adopted. So instead of just having the widget on the website as the way to get in touch, which we had, we decided to add the QR codes and the links 
as a way for people to get in touch from physical products and places. And not only does it make it easier to get in touch with customers wherever they are, if you have the codes in physical product and places, it also keeps people safer because they don't have to be as physically close as they were to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations. So technically you don't have to have any conversation. You can do it all through just a QR code. Like you want, you yeah. want information on a product or a service or pretty much anything, just like scan it and get a hold of someone. Exactly. And no one's been doing anything that cool with QR codes over the years here in the U.S. And I think that's part of the reason why they haven't taken off. So we're trying to do more than just put people to a website. We're trying to give them a really unique and personalized experience. So we're hoping, you know, that that, that trend continues and the combination of keeping people safe and providing potentially a better experience than they were used to will, will you know, allow it shift to adopting these QR codes in the US and realizing that you don't need to be physically close to someone to still provide good service. Yeah, 100%. What, what are the, like, the main companies or main industries that would you think would benefit the most from RingPin right now? Yeah, um, we're talking to a lot of direct mail companies because they're all putting physical products in front of their customers and they could easily add our QR codes to get those customers um, you know, attention immediately because they're always trying to get a call to action with their mailings, like whether they're trying to get someone to book an appointment, make a phone call, uh, we can help uh, facilitate that. And another use is obviously like the CPG or consumer package good brands, kind of like I talked about, like a makeup or, or fitness beauty brand, like a Revlon where you can put it on there. Um, yeah, you can get it if we need to. We can we can try selling whoever's on the phone. They might need it. <laughs> I think they're I think they're definitely needing it like right now. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but it can, any consumer package. Can you smell? Can you oh, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Can you smell? We uh, could translate that and uh, our <laughs> translate and transcribes everything. So we could, we could find out what that was for you. <laughs> that was uh, actually that was China coming in and then starting to you know integrate with the ring pin. So pretty there fantastic. You go. <laughs> we, do, we do translate all the calls into eight different languages, but uh, that's a little advanced for what we were talking about today. Uh, I think though any any good that would get value from having like a stylist or an expert talk to the customers. So like let's take Revlon again for example and they have a product in CVS, they never have any representatives in CVS or most of the stores where their product are sold. With RingPin, a customer could pick up an eyeshadow palette, scan the code, and instantly be talking to a Revlon rep and get advice about if that would match the lipstick that they're thinking about or get them you know, subscribe to the service that'll send them a new color every month or something like that. So That's amazing. Package good that could increase um, you know, the interaction with it or provide additional value when interacting with that product would make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so anyone that's listening, you know, to the podcast, uh, you know, if there's, if you have a company that essentially has any kind of products as far as like consumer, like physical products, consumer to, you know, to your business, I want additional interactions. I mean, I think that's kind of like the main, the main focus here. Right. So, um, so John, how do they get a hold of you or, or get a hold of RingPin to be able to like start the conversation and see how you guys can, um, either like modify or change the system so that way it can benefit their company. Yeah. Uh, you can go to ringpin.com, R-I-N-G-P-I-N, and we have a RingPin on there where you can choose if you want to call, text, do a video call or a live chat with me. Uh, or you can just call 858-299-1792 or email J-O-N at ringpin.com. Uh, any of those ways, I'll get back to you right away. And, and we look forward to finding ways for you to communicate better with your customers. 
Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds like there's a lot of notifications and things, and people want to get a hold of me. They probably want to get a hold of you as, you, you as well. So if anyone wants to go ahead and uh, get a hold of John, go ahead and uh, check it out. And, uh, and have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the iSmart Podcast Show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.